What a, what a privilege to be here. I, I, I get an opportunity every so often to be at churches when they launch. Um, but that's at the beginning, and there, there's a lot of an, uh, anticipation and excitement about what will happen. Uh, but it's rare that I actually get to, a church does this a celebration, and I get to be there at the celebration, the, the kind of the concluding of the, the first year. And you st- hear some of the stories and hear some of the excitement. There's different excitement than at the beginning. The beginning excitement is all about what might be. Um, but the end excitement is what, what God has done or is, in, is still doing because there's, there's pieces that, about the Pray For Me campaign that, that are unknown of what God's doing. Because there's, there's the, the reality is that one or two or three adults are connected with one student and that's tangible. You can see that. You can see that. They, they connected. They, and the student knows that those adults are praying for you. And that's a, that's a tangible piece, even though it's the intangible, the, the prayer part. But here's a supernatural part that God's doing stuff through prayer that we have no idea how he's going to bring it to pass. The goodness that he's the favor, the favor that these adults have been praying over you. We don't know yet what that's going to look like. We've tasted a little bit of you've tasted of it a little bit this year, but you don't even know that that was directly related to the prayers of the people that have been praying for you this year that didn't, were not praying for you last year. The thing that you don't want to do is all of a sudden think, start taking it for granted that this just happens. Well, the goodness and favor of God doesn't just happen. It happens that when God's on, on the move, but he, God uses His people to, to move in the lives of other people. So as you start tasting the goodness of what God's doing in your life, don't just assume that that's the way it is. God does miraculous things through the prayers of his people to make us become the kind of people he wants us to become. Both the prayers and the prayees. Pray, if that's right. It's something there. The, um, as I was thinking about being here today, I was thinking about you know, the, the, the Pray For Me campaign um, really started a long time ago when I was 17 years old. Um, when I came to know Christ in a, in a small Baptist church in eastern North Carolina and it had people in it like you. It was much smaller than this. It was this section. It was this section of the church. Smaller church, um, but people that love Jesus. And I come from a family that doesn't know Jesus at all, did not know Jesus at all, and what happened is that a teacher invited me to church, and at that church they presented the gospel. I surrendered my life to Christ, and then after I, I remember distinctly, had no idea really what it meant, but I remember distinctly after I became a Christian, I came back and, and started sharing with the people at church that I'd become a Christian. And other, my teacher was telling people too, it wasn't just me, but they, people were coming up to me left and right, adults, saying, we have been praying for you. I had no idea what that meant, except for now, looking back, I realized the hand of God was on this wayward person's life, and he was using the church to make a difference in my life. And he's done it not just at the beginning, but he's done it all the way through. There's been people all the way through my life that have, that have always been praying for me in a, in a profound and intentional way, and probably the my strongest prayer champion is my bride, uh, Rhonda, who's not able to be here. 
Um, but she's a big part of why the Pray For Me campaign exists. Now, part of it is because she's modeled prayer for me for 32 years um, and before, because we dated for four and a half years, so we're talking a long time, you know, 36-something years. Um, she's modeled prayer for me, but, but even more su- su- importantly, in the midst of suffering. Um, if, you, if you read the introduction to our, the book, you, you kind of got a glimpse that I talked about that, that at that point it was 18 years that my wife has been suffering with headaches and muscle pain, bone pain, 50 plus doctors in our rearview mirror, uh, multiple surgeries, all those surgeries were that this would solve it. And it did not. Some of them made them things worse. And so much so that the 12 years leading up to 2016, she was mostly bedridden, meaning that the person that could clog and dance and, and make a, a hardwood floor sing um, began where she had to use a cane, and then she had to use a walker, and then she had to use a wheel, wheelchair, and she wouldn't go anywhere without the wheelchair because she couldn't get there. Um, so our life was totally different. But in the midst of that, I also always saw someone that was trusting and dependent upon God. That was, was, he was our hope, was and is our hope. And so as, as the Pray For Me campaign began to emerge, because you have 30 plus years of youth ministry experience in this, and, and so looking at the church and realizing that every young person, every young person needs a whole team of people that love and support them to succeed and, and flourish in their faith, in life and faith. But as someone that's been around youth ministry for a long time, I would look at it and I'd say that how do we get more adults, connect with more teenagers more naturally? Now, the research shows that there's a high percentage of young people from churches that are going to disengage after they graduate. Now, I believe that in those churches, that what's happening is that there's a disconnect between the, the young people and the church. There's a real sense that the, the, there's a ministry to young people but what happens is that they're not as connected to the church as that, that we need them to be. And now, when I say connected to the church, be clear of what I'm saying. I'm not saying that they need to be connected to the, the programs, all the programs that's happening here. The church is the people. And they need to be connected to the people. It's easy to walk away from an institution, an organization. It's easy. If there's no emotional connection, it's easy to walk away. It's hard to walk away from people, dozens of people that love you and have demonstrated that over and over again. Now, I believe that this church is made up of those kind of people. And that the Pray For Me campaign is just a catalyst to help you to express that now in a new way. That's all it is. And thank God there's, there's 120 adults that, that said yes to being a prayer champion for a young person this year. Now, maybe this year it could be 150 200. It could be more. Matter of fact, I've been challenged to say that, uh, that you may want to consider that, that starting at sixth grade is too late. And that you may want to consider, hey, how can we start praying for our children when they're in kindergarten? And that, that every child in, from kindergarten through college would have a whole host of adults that have prayed for them and connected with them in a significant way when they come to their church. That, that East LJ Baptist Church would be known as a church that every young person has connected with every adult in the church. They think about that 
from sixth grade to 12th grade, that would be 21 different adults that they would be connected with throughout their time. It's 40-something if you start at kindergarten. And if they go through college, it's 52. Now what that means, that's all gold. And that's all goodness coming to these young people. But it's all goodness going to you as well. Because God's called us to be on mission. And prayer is one of the most basic aspects of the Christian life. But it's one of the most significant ways that we can be on mission right here where we are every day without changing some of the patterns of our lives but make a monumental difference in the life of a young person. Whether it's like the little Matt Papa kids that were up here um, or the bigger ones that were behind them. So, as I think about the, the Pray For Me campaign, I look at the, that I started basically back when I was 17 years old in seed form. And, and after 20 years of suffering, um, the reason why that's a part of it is because that has forced me to trust God in ways that I would have never trust God without that suffering. And I would have never had to go to God and be dependent upon God in the way that He's ushered my wife and I into prayer and dependence upon Him through the suffering. When you think of that, in those 21 years primarily that she was the worst, um, over thousands, uh, thousand nights, days, they would go to bed weeping where there was no relief for the pain and there was no re- reason to go to the mer- emergency room because they couldn't do anything for us. And the weight of that is part of what's in the Pray For Me campaign. So when you're reading the prayer guide, it's, it's, it's God doing a lot of things for a lot of years there. And it could, it could be so much better. And I'm thankful that it's being used here in your life and, and used in my life because I use it to, to pray for the people in my world, to, to that they would see and savor the greatness of God for all it's worth. You know, one of the things that, that I, as I think about the, the Pray For Me campaign, that, that one of the, the key pieces is um, that it's in that introduction that you may have skipped over, where we talked a little bit about my, my wife's health and what, what forced us to, to rely on God in a magnificent way, in a, in a profound, extended way. And the only way that you can do that kind of long, intense, unrelenting kind of suffering is, okay, today's the day I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be faithful today. And then when you wake up and you say, today I'm going to be faithful. And then you look in your rearview mirror and there's 21 years in your rearview mirror or 24 years in your rearview mirror. But... One of the things that I want to leave you with today, one of the things I want to give you is if you didn't pay attention to that, that section in there that talks about see, save, or share, that that was the, that was the, the response that from the, the weight of the, the suffering that God had, was resting on us forced me to learn how to walk with God differently. One prayer became much more of an intentional act and an ongoing and relentless act. But then also that I I needed to see, my heart, my soul needed more of God every day, more often than I ever imagined. I I thought that I was walking with God before it all happened. I was just deceived. I was was coasting with God. It was a downhill, easy, no no difficulties. I I, I know the scripture. I know how to walk with him. but, But now I would say that Suffering is a key component of the Christian life. If you're not suffering in some way and not trusting in Him in the midst of that suffering, then 
God wants to kind of rearrange your thinking. Suffering is not separate from the Christian life. It is part of the Christian life. We don't become Christians so that we don't have any suffering. We, we become Christians and we give our lives to God so that we're so full and, and complete in Him that we're willing to do hard things, step into suffering in ways that we would have never stepped into suffering before. That's, the, that's one of the beautiful things when I read primarily 2 Corinthians. Paul talks out and he starts and he says, I, I'm a worker with you for your joy. And I think, why does he say that? Why is he a worker for my joy? Why isn't he a worker for some other thing that I would be my obedience? Well, I believe that he knows that obedience flows out of joy because joy is what's captured your heart and you go after the things you love. And so ultimately... I knew during that time of suffering that I needed to be captured by God more and more. So I began to, to seek see, to see the, the greatness of God in Scripture, because this is where we this is where we know everything we know about God is here. And when we see God in creation, because that's another place we can see the greatness of God, we know that because we see it here. The greatness of God is seen all through the pages of His Word. Love His Word and you will see the greatness of God. And then the second thing is you need to savor the greatness of God. When you see the greatness of God, greatness of God in Scripture and in your life, how He shows up in your world, because He's going to show up, He is showing up, He has showed up, then you savor that. You see it in Scripture, you see it in your life, and you see it in creation, but then you savor it, which means to treasure it, to delight in it, to give thanks for it. So you're, there's this whole adoration piece that takes place when, we, when we've seen the greatness of God. We don't race away from it and say, that was great. We, we let it rest on us. We let it find its place in our soul. And we, we begin thanking God for it and thank, thanking Him not just for the actual event or the, the Scripture we see, but how He led us to that passage or how He led us to that person. So you start praying all the nuanced pieces around that event that God did in your life. And what happens is your heart gets bigger towards the greatness of God. And you, you realize that He is my provider. He is the one that, that meets me where I am. And the last thing is you, you share. Because you always share what you love. If there's any Georgia Bulldogs fans in here, you share what you love. See? didn't take long for a hand to go up. Did you dislocate that shoulder when you did that? The, there's, a, there's a fact that we share the things that we love. And so part of what I, I realized back in the midst of that suffering, and that was leading it, my, me to the Pray For Me campaign before I even knew the Pray For Me campaign was in existence or were going to be in existence, was that God was helping me to see that my heart has to be captured by Him. And that I can, I can nurture that. There's a way for me to nurture that. I can be in His Word and I can look for Him. It's not just say, check it off that I've been in His Word, but I'm looking at His Word to see His greatness. To fall in love deeper with Him as a person. So that my heart is captured by Him. And then when my heart's captured by Him, then what happens is that I am willing to do things I would never be willing to do otherwise. And I'm not, I, there's no way that I can tell you all the difficulties of having a bride that is incapacitated, that her thinking is going away, she's losing her ability, her memory, and, and you say, hey, honey, I'm going to be going to the office, I'll be doing this, this, and this, and I'll be coming back. And then 
less than 15 seconds later now, what are you going to do today? That's what she's asking me. Those were some of the scariest days of my life because I can't fix that. I have to have God's joy in my life because I need to be able to persevere for my wife. She doesn't have, nobody else is going to show up. If I didn't show up, then nobody else is showing up. And so you have, some of you in this room have it, the similar situations that if you don't show up, then nobody's going to be there for that person. But the thing is that God can help you to show up. God helps you to show up. If you're showing up, God is helping you to show up. You're not doing that on your own. God is helping you to show up. All those pieces converged but 30 years of youth ministry, suffering, 20 years of suffering, looking at the church and knowing that there's adults in the church that have stories that are unbelievable about how God has shown up in their lives. I love to hear those stories. I am so excited. If, if I'm with you for any, and we're not occupied with other talk that we have to talk about, I'm going to ask you questions of where God's shown up in your life because I, I want to hear those. And there's a, re, there's a, there's a selfish reason. I, I'll state it up front. There's a selfish reason, but it's also a, a generous reason. The selfish reason is that I know that when you share something of how God has shown up in your life, a stake in the ground is, is, has helped me to realize that God is still active. God is works. God is true. God is real. And he acts on people's lives for their good and his glory. The generous part is, is that when I ask you to tell me a story of how God has shown up in your life, I'm giving you the opportunity to drive a stake in the ground to remember that God is real, God is true, and he shows up. It's a, that's the, that's the share part. That's the share part. Philemon 1, 6 talks about that and talks about that, that there's something incredible that takes place when one, Paul is encouraging Philemon to keep sharing your faith so you'll have a full understanding of all that Jesus is for us in all that Jesus is for us. That it means that if you and you have a full understanding of all that Jesus is for us. Now if you don't the implication is this if you don't share, then you're gonna doubt. You're gonna doubt that is God really real? Because there's all this this noise that tells us that God isn't able, God isn't doing what he needs to do and that he's He's not applicable to our situation in this world. The reality is that when you t- share a story, you're helping somebody drive a stake in the ground that he is real and that you're reminding yourself and you're reminding that person that God is real. So that's why when you look at the prayer guide, there's three sections to a page. At the beginning, the prayer starts, Father, I pray that you help me to see you more clearly, savor you more fully, and share you more freely. That's, there's a reason behind that. There's, that's, that's not just a nice phrase, that, that, that catchy phrase at the top. There's, there's heart strings that are attached to that, that God is doing something when you see him more clearly and you savor that for all it's worth and then you tell somebody about it. So then when you look at the passage and you're, pre- and you're, you're looking, where's God's greatness seen in that passage? What can I circle? What can I underline? What can I take apart? And then when you pray it, what happens is you're savoring that in prayer and then you're figuring out, is there something that my student needs to know from this? Or is there somebody in my family that needs to know something about what I'm seeing here and savoring here? 
So it goes, goes forward. The, uh, the Pray For Me campaign has, has grown like crazy. What you're part of is something ma- magnificent here. And it, to be here on a day of it's kind of your celebration of a year has been really fun. Um, to hear the stories and, and to tell the truth, multiple times this morning I was choking up because I'm, I'm seeing God do something that the fruit of a life of suffering, God's doing something great in your life or has the potential to do something great in your life because of the connections but also the prayers. There's all this dependence that's happening in the body. There's three big things that happen with the Pray For Me campaign. And I'm going to go to a passage. I know that our time, where our time is, I'm aware. The, uh, one is that every one of these young people gets a whole network of adults that love and support them. And that's going to help them to flourish in faith and life. Now, you don't know you need it. I'm, looking, I'm talking to the students now. If there's, if there's some over there, yeah, I'm still talking to you if you're not right in this section. Having these two, three adults that are praying for you is a big deal. There's going to come a time when, you know, right now it feels like everything is good. We're just, we're coasting. We're coasting down river. Everything is good. There's going to be a time when things aren't coasting. And you're in college and you're against the wind. You're in your canoe and you're going against the waves and it's hard. Everything's hard. And there's, you're going to need a network of people that love and support you outside of the stellar work of Stacy and her team. And you needed a whole body of Christ that was in your corner. Well, God's giving you that now so that later when you need it in a different way, you have it. It's not just for now. It's for a long term. The body of Christ is that way. It's not just for the moment. It's for a long term. Four years ago, when we launched the Pray For Me campaign with eight test churches from four different denominations, ranging from 50 members to 1,500 members, had no idea what we were doing. We, were think, we thought we, we were on track with what, we, what God wanted to do and had no idea that in four years there would be 391 churches in 39 states in the U.S., Canada, and Scotland that are doing the Pray For Me campaign. And, and it's not just... I, 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 I want to make sure that I say that it's not just doing the Pray For Me campaign. It's connecting the generations and giving every young person in those churches a whole host of adults that love and support them, beginning with prayer. Okay, so look, think about this for a second. There's 391 churches. 391 churches. you know how many prayer champions are in those? Just, just as, In one sense, 391 feels like a lot. I love that, that we're there. But in that sense, that's just a drop, that's a molecule in the drop in a bucket for how many churches are out there and how many young people need a host of adults that are praying for them. Do you know how many are in that, that 391 that you're a part of? You're, you're in this number. 31,000 adults are praying for the students and the young people in those churches. To me, that boggles my mind. There's an exponential relational connection that's taking place with the Pray For Me campaign and that you're a part of, that you're doing it here. And out there, I give you that just as scope, just, just for scope, just for, just for fodder for conversation over lunch. That's all that is. So 
The reason that we do the Pray For Me campaign is that we want ultimately verses like Psalm 145, 1 through 4 have stuck in my heart. Um, it says this, I will, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and His greatness is unsearchable. Here's this, this passage. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Another translation shall, shall praise your na- works to another. You know, I love that verse better because it says that, that, that one generation is owned and captured by the greatness of God. And, and they're not just telling, they're praising the greatness of God to the next generation. There's a, there's a, there's an ownership of this that they, they've been owned by and they're operated by the greatness of God. Those passages have been key in moving us to do the Pray For Me campaign. And, but, but I, I just want us to drive home in just a, just a moment here the, the, um, a couple, couple other passages that, that I think that kind of as we think about prayer, there is the, there's the whole intergenerational relationship that is absolutely crucial. Like Psalm, Psalm 71 um, is probably, when, when I'm thinking about these, these passages of one generation commending the greatness of God to the next generation, Psalm 71, 17, and 18 comes to mind. Oh God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, there is hair up here. You might not be able to see it back there, but there it is. The, um, so even to old age and gray hairs, O oh God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those that are to come. The, the reason why I love that passage is because the psalmist isn't at the beginning of his time. He's at the end. He can see the end. And he's thinking, give me one more opportunity. I want one more opportunity to be able to declare your greatness, God, to the next generation so that they can taste what I've tasted. And all throughout Scripture, there's those, those demonstrations of, the, of one generation saying, I'm going to do the hard thing so that the next generation gets what I've already tasted and what I've owned and what's operated in my life for years and years. Matthew 7, 7 through 12, is, that's, on your, that's on your shirt. It's not pray hard. Um, the, that's one of my favorite passages. Um, most everybody in here knows that. Um, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Knock and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. To the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if the son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If, then, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, Give good things to those who ask him. Now, most of us stop there, but I, I believe that the next verse is probably the most compelling verse called for prayer that I've come across in a long time. Everybody in here knows the next verse. You might not know that this is where it lands. It's the golden rule. Jesus put the golden rule right at the culmination of a passage on prayer. And matter of fact, he, he, he says it this way. So he ends it up and he says, So how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good, good things to those who ask him? So 
Whatever you wish that others would do for you, do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. It could read this way. So, however you'd want somebody to pray for you, pray that way for them. Now, I can, I can vouch for the fact that when my, my wife and I were in the deepest, darkest seasons of our lives, and people said they were going to pray for us, I didn't want them to pray casually. My heart was breaking. I wanted people that would be tenacious, that would, that would, that would go to God and stay there for a season. It doesn't have to be an hour. It doesn't have to be 30 minutes. It, but, but more than just bless the souders. That's casual. I wanted them to pray hard for us, like your shirts. I wanted there to be intensity because you know why? Because that's the, I, I would want them to pray this. I wanted them to pray hard for us. And so now when I see that passage, I can't help that when somebody tells me that they need something to pray about, that I can't just casually do it. And I, I catch myself. I still I lean towards casualty. <laughs> I have a casualness. I am a casualty of casualness. So, but I encourage you, that passage is the golden rules in prayer passage. And the reason why that's important for me is one other passage. I'm talking about this passage just briefly, but I want to tell you a story and finish up. Is the Mark 2 passage. You know the, you know the story well. Um, Jesus is teaching and the, the, the place where he's teaching is in a house and it's packed out. Nobody can get in. There's some buddies that have a paralytic that, and they're bringing him to Jesus. They can't get in the house. They go up on top of the house. They dig a hole in the top, the roof of the house that's big enough to lower the man down. It's not a small hole. There's much disruption of what, there had to be debris falling on Jesus and all the people that were inside. There's all that coming down. Here's what I want you to know, that these guys had a... I'm, I'm, so you know where I'm going. I just told you about the, the Matthew 7 passage, the golden rule right in the midst of prayer, that we want God wants us to pray for others the way that we would want them to pray for us. I believe that here's a physical picture of what that could look like, that you've got the, the, the buddies of the paralytic all have their corner. They're taking their, their buddy to the top, there's tenacity, there's tenaciousness, they're not, there's relentlessness. They go up to the top, they dig through, get a way to get lower him down. And the, the words that Jesus says, they look, they see the paralytic, he looks at them, sees their faith, and heals the paralytic. For years, after I came across that, and I started tying it into that Matthew 7 passage, I realized that any number of you could kneel down beside your bed today, be praying for my wife and her healing, and God will see your faith and heal her. There's, a t- there's, there's something amazing there that they, we can bring people, young people, to Jesus in prayer with tenaciousness and it do what we could never imagine. I'm going to finish with this story. My, uh, the last surgery my wife had was uh, a tethered cord surgery on the base of her back. Her, her, your, your spinal cord is not supposed to be tied into the bottom. Inside with the, and there's a, it was, somehow it was tethered at the bottom. They had to go in 
release that, and they were hoping that that would release the pain for the heads and headache and stuff like that. We had this surgery done in on Long Island in New York. Um, we got up there, had the surgery. Three days later, in the midst of the surgery, that was the same time that there was this terrorist attack in London, and and during the time from when we went flew up to the time we were there, they changed the rules on what you could bring back on the plane. That's when the, that's that moment is when they said you can no longer take anything more than three ounces on the plane. So we had surgery. We got out of the hospital. We're in a hotel, kind of trying to recover. I'm looking at my wife. She can barely move. We're supposed to fly out the next day. I'm, I have all our luggage in front of us. I'm trying to figure out how in the world I'm going to get all our stuff the way it's supposed to be so to meet all their requirements so that we can get my wife, who just had back surgery, that's going to have to be wheeled through LaGuardia Airport by a kamikaze escort person that... All about the destination and speed in which we can get there, and I'm 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 afraid. Everything about this is a is a nightmare, because um, I can't figure out the luggage. I can't, for the life of me, figure out how I'm going to protect my wife from the, the kamikaze wheelchair person. Um, and so, I get a call. A friend of mine calls me. He says, "Hey, Tony, we're we just finished our board meeting, and we've been praying for you guys." And he says, now, we've been praying that we, maybe we know somebody that has a plane that could maybe bring you home. We don't know if it can happen, but we wanted to call and see if you'd be okay with that. I'm thinking, is that a joke? I'm definitely okay with that. And so I said, if it can work, that would be beyond miraculous. I get off the phone. 30 minutes later, this is like 8, 30, 8 o'clock at night, 8.30, I get a call from the pilot of the plane asking me where I am, asking me, telling me where I'm going to meet the plane. And they found, they knew somebody that had a, that worked for a company, had a private jet. They flew there. They were coming back through that way. They stopped at Islip Airport, didn't have to go to the Kamikaze LaGuardia. The hardest part of that trip was after I loaded my luggage into the car and got my wife to the car, the hardest part was stepping up the kind of the first two, three steps to get on this plane. Once I got in the plane, it was nicer than my living room. But here's the thing. My friend had no idea, except for I had shared with him earlier that week, how challenging life was right then. But he took that, and he would not let it go. And he was tenacious, and he prayed, and he got other people to pray, other people that had means. He didn't have the plane. He, he, God has planes, and he prayed with other men that God used to have connections with the, the man that had the plane. And next thing you know, we're able to get home in a way that didn't create more damage than we could imagine trying to get home the, the normal flight. I share that because he didn't, I didn't ask him to pray that way. He was living out... Matthew seven twelve. He was praying the way that he would want somebody to pray for him if he was in that situation. And he was rallying other people to pray. The Pray For Me campaign is really trying to do that too. So if you've been a part of it this year, thank the Lord. If you know other people that have been a part of it, thank the Lord. Thank them for taking the step out. And encourage others that maybe didn't for whatever reason, didn't say, hey, I'll do it this year. 
I, sometimes I'm that way. Sometimes I can be very impulsive. Sometimes I'm holding back to see how it really plays out. Nobody got wounded. Everybody's okay. I'll do it next year. Okay, next year, when they start in the fall, maybe you'll say, hey, I can do this. I can pray. I can pray for a young person. Now, here's what I want you to do. This is, this is really my closing here. I'm not going to ask you to come forward or anything like that today. Um, but I do want you to do one thing. I want you to start mentally and going home and maybe even today, start writing down the stories of how God has shown up in your life. And where's, where's he shown up? Where's, what are the passages that if somebody asks you what are your favorite passages, i got probably 20 that I could talk about right now. But if, there's, if you've got some passages, that's, that's God's goodness that's kind of sealed the deal on your heart. Write those down. Get those. It's like gold in your pocket. Get the, the times where God's shown up in your life and put those stories together. Put those in your other pocket. And you can put the, the times where you saw the magnificence of God's creation in your back pockets and you got, you got pockets full of stuff. Then students, I give you freedom to ask your prayer champions at any time, any place, where have they seen God show up in their lives? Just ask them. Because they've got gold in their hills. There's... there's, there's, there's truth and there's life that God has done in their life and when you ask them that you're giving them an opportunity to drive a stake in the ground to remember that God is active and God is doing things not just in the past but in the present and he wants to do it in the future and they may ask you the same question so don't be too afraid but you might want to have a story that you've been thinking about or a passage something like that let me pray for us Father, there's nothing and no one that is as valuable as you, that is as great as you, that meets us and loves us and chases us and kicks doors down and climbs hills and goes after us with relentless love. Thank you that you've done that and that you sing over us with great joy. I pray that you would meet everyone here this morning in a profound way. And if there's, if there's anyone here that, that as the stories have been shared and the things that they've thought about as that have been prompted by different passages or different stories, and they need to talk to somebody, um, Pastor Chad will be at the front. I'll be down at the front if they need to come and have prayer for anything. Um, Father, bring them down and so that we can pray with them. But I pray that you would... You would work in our hearts and you would solidify in our hearts that you are great and that you want and conti- to continue to move in our lives and through our lives for the blessing of others and for your glory. We commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.